This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler. Do you have a fantasy of being a writer? Do you write in your spare time but can't imagine how you'd ever get published or make any money writing? Have you been told you should write a book, feel like you have something important to say or a great story to tell, but haven't yet done it? For a whole lot of very good reasons, I'm sure. My guest today, author, speaker, publisher, Michael J. Sano, has some advice and inspiration for you. Mike began reading before he'd even been taught his ABCs, much to the surprise of his family. He began writing stories at an early age, too. In high school and college, he was editor-in-chief of the Campus Literary Magazine. The quality of his work led to multiple awards and honors. After earning his bachelor's from Lynchburg College, he went on to complete his master's in English from Binghamton University at the age of 24. Mike served in management positions for several companies, including director at a market research firm and assistant vice president at a Tampa mortgage company. He also taught composition at the college level. Mike became a full-time professional writer in 2001 and has since written more than a thousand articles on a wide range of topics. His work has appeared in a variety of national publications, including Woman's Day, Entrepreneur, Red Book, Money, and Fortune. Since founding Sano Publishing in 2015, he's gone on to achieve national and international recognition, gaining over 15,000 followers on Twitter and publishing and selling three novels, Brother's Hand, Jana, and Miles of Files, both in the U.S. and abroad, as well as the short story collection Rides from Strangers. Mike Sano has ghostwritten books for entrepreneurs in the U.S. and continues to electrify audiences with his, with his story and his natural gift for entertaining while informing. He's available for professional speaking engagements upon request. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Kate. It's great to be with you today. You began reading before you'd been taught your ABCs. How old were you? <laughs> you know, I wish I could tell you. I don't even remember doing this, but uh, this is back in the days when they didn't even teach you the ABCs until you were already in, I think, first grade. So I'm going to say maybe the kindergarten range or a little bit before that. And I was sitting there with my grandmother reading the sports page. I think she was reading something or just looking at it. And I started reading this story about the Cincinnati Reds. And she thought I was making all this stuff up and what a clever little boy. <laughs> it turns out that I was actually reading the article to her. And when she realized that, I think her teeth just about fell out. She went and informed my mother of what was happening. And then it just kind of went on from there. Did your parents read to you? Like, how did you learn how to read? They did. They really did me a solid. Uh, of course, this is all pre-internet and so forth. There was a book, and I forget the name of the book. It had a very generic title to it, something about stories for beginners or something along those lines. 
but it, it's a hardcover book, and it had all of the nursery rhymes and the Mother Goose stuff and all kinds of stuff. And I remember the alphabet being in there, and it had this little thing with little cartoons, and A is for apple, and it was sort of apple pie Instead of apple pie, it was apple pie nice and sidey. It was very <laughs> cute and funny, <laughs> but it also had uh, something about it that was appealing and easy to remember. So they really were teaching me that stuff without realizing that I was absorbing all of it and also, I was looking at the page and decoding the language at the same time, I guess. Wow. So presumably, you are a voracious reader. When did you start writing? Well, at that time, they really didn't get you writing anything until you were in first grade. So you'd be doing the C-spot run and Dick and Jane and all of that kind of thing. So I was just writing the basic stuff that everybody else was. But there were four of us in our class in this particular grammar school who really kind of went beyond what was being taught to us. And we would make up names. And I remember this cartoon that one of us created with this name like uh, E.B. Gunafiga Dunadu or something <laughs> that we thought was funny. And so we were sort of starting to create things within that time frame, I would say right around first grade. Wow, that's pretty early. You uh, got yeah. your master's in English at 24, but then you went to work in a couple of different industries, market research, which seems like a place you could potentially use your writing skills, and then a mortgage company. What attracted you to those jobs, and ultimately, why didn't those work out for you? I had the market research gig even while I was still an undergraduate, or I was at least in grad school, and I would go and work part-time at this company when I was on breaks or in the summertime. And what happened was they actually decided to hire me full-time. They made me a job offer as the full-time manager, and so I just took the job because I already had the experience, and it made sense to just go from par from part-time to full-time and I stuck with that for a while but I ultimately moved to Florida to escape the freezing cold of New England and when I came down here I was looking for work I was temping for a company that had a uh, a part-time or a full-time temporary gig in a mortgage company and I was looking for another market research job because in those days you would only get hired for a job if you had experience in that specific field. And I'm sure it still happens a lot today. And I got two job offers the same weekend, and one of them was full-time in a market research company, and the other was the job I was already in in the mortgage company. They just offered me a, a full-time gig so I wouldn't be working for the temp agency anymore. And I weighed the pros and cons of both and the benefits and the whole deal and it actually made sense to just stay with that mortgage company. And I actually grew in that field for uh, several years and worked my way up to a management position. When you were in college getting your degrees, what was your plan? Did you, did you have a career in mind? Did you want to be a writer or were you just kind of getting your degrees and seeing what happened? I was actually thinking about becoming a writer when I was still in high school, 
I was very good in art, in visual arts, and I was very good in writing, but I was not as good as some of the other kids in art. And I was nominated for class artist, and I was also nominated for class poet. The three other guys, because they had girls and guys nominated, you know, you had one of each. The, the three other guys who were nominated for class artist were all better than me, and I was glad that I didn't win. But I did win class poet, and I knew I deserved it. <laughs> mm. I just did. And so when I was evaluating, do I go to art school or do I go to college and be an English major, it wasn't difficult to decide. I'd already been the editor of a literary magazine, and I was really getting into heavily reading a lot of classics, actually, and some modern fiction as well. And so when I was in college, I made the decision that I would continue on and either be in an academic position and write on the side or try to become a full-time writer. And getting a gig as a full-time writer, is you know, those jobs are few and far between. So it was surprising to me when I finally did get that. And that was after the mortgage company position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you became a full-time professional writer in 2001. Was this before or after 9-11? Oh, funny story there. It was about two weeks after 9-11 uh, that I actually started there. And for years I used to tell people that everybody was – so traumatized by what happened on 9-11, they weren't really thinking straight when they made that hiring decision. <laughs> <laughs> so you were hired as a full-time professional writer. Was was it, um, what kind of writing was it? The company itself it, uh, provides medical marketing writing. So they looked at my resume and they looked at my writing samples that I provided and they were really looking at it in terms of, okay, this guy has a master's in English. He can really write. He's able to write the types of things that we want based on the samples he's provided. And he's got the market research background, which means he probably knows a little something about marketing. So I think that was their evaluation process. And I also had an excellent editor who hired me and provided a lot of help and guidance through the first 90 days or so. Mm-hmm. You've written over a thousand articles for a wide range of topics for national publications. Was there a common theme among those topics? Was that articles for this company or what types of things did you write about? Well, there were many articles for that company because they had a, a lot of different clients. And in medical writing, when you're doing it from a marketing standpoint, you could be writing for an assisted living facility, uh, a podiatrist, a dentist, anything, anything really in the medical field. However, I've also done an awful lot of articles for other folks, whether it's something on their website or something in some of the professional magazines like you mentioned earlier, Entrepreneur, Fortune, so on and so forth. And again, we're talking about marketing writing here, So, but those topics could be completely non-medical. So I've written stuff about construction, about banking, finance, all sorts of different stuff, attorneys, you name it, really. So it sounds like you can apply your writing skills to just about any topic if you, if you wish. Yeah, it's gotten to the point now where I'm, I've got the experience and the information that I do feel like I'm at the top of my game. So when somebody hires me for something and they say, 
can you write about this? The answer is yes. The only thing that I would turn down would be a, a project where they're specifically looking for a technical writer who really went to school for the technical and then they're also a writer, <laughs> but that's the job. Because those people really are a specialized field and they should, anyone looking for that should hire somebody who has a technical writer degree, whatever that, whatever that is. It's probably a BS actually, not a BA. Yeah, technical writing is a whole different animal, and you're right. You have to be a subject matter expert, otherwise you will never be able to communicate it properly. <laughs> right. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, yes, you can make a living as a writer. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and today my guest is author, speaker, publisher, Mike Sano. Mike, people might not see your name as a byline on these articles. Tell me about how that works, how you get hired to write these. Well, there are different types of clients who want different things. So, for example, I've got a client right now who's a retired NFL pro, and he's got several holding companies, and they have me do all kinds of stuff for these different companies, but it's going to be placed in, in a situation where nobody has a byline on it. It's just an article. And some of the articles that I've done for national publications, like Fortune and Bloomberg Business Week and Red Book and so forth, these are not articles where I'm sending them a pitch and they're hiring me to do the article. I'm actually being... Uh, hired by an outside agency, and that agency has a client. See, and what happens is they will have me interview their client and provide a tra you know, create a transcript of it. And then what I'll do is I'll take that information and create the article, and then it goes back to the agency through them. Then it goes to their client, and everything has to be approved by all of them. So. I don't even really worry about the byline in those situations. Mm. So how did you get in, how did you find this agency? How did they find you? And how can people who might want to work for an agency like that find them? Well, in my case, it was something where I knew someone who was working for that particular agency. So they, they referred me directly to them. In fact, they referred that agency to me. They said, hey, if you're looking for some more people to do writing for your clients, you should hire this Mike Sano guy because he's great and he's available. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so if, if somebody, yeah, somebody were out there looking on their own, I'm not really sure how that process would work. In fact, the same is true for some of my other best clients. They found me through either through my online presence. You know, as you mentioned before, I've actually, I think I'm up to 17,000 Twitter followers now, so I, I got to update that somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you never know how people are going to find you. So I, I say if, if you're looking to write and you want to get your name out there, I would say you got to build up a significant online presence to, to get people to come find you. Yeah. 
Now, you've also ghostwritten some books. Were those fiction or nonfiction? It's a funny story. The, the, go, the books that I've ghostwritten are in the nonfiction category. But what's funny about the ghostwriting of, of books is that that whole part of my business model came about when I went to this event out in California. I just launched my business. I'm hanging around with maybe 250 or 300 business professionals, some of whom have multi-million dollar operations, and networking with them. And I just launched the business, so I'd never really been an entrepreneur. And I was having these conversations, the standard networking chat, what do you do, oh, I'm a writer, so on and so forth. And I would tell them a little about my marketing writing and maybe about the books that I've written on my own, my novels. And they would kind of look at me and go, gee, Mike, uh, have you ever thought about ghostwriting books for business owners who need a book that they can use as kind of an extended business card? And I'd say, oh, that's a great idea. No, I should look into that. And then about three hours later, I'd have the same conversation, and the person would say, Mike, uh, you should think about ghostwriting books for entrepreneurs who need a book to expand their authority and influence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the end of this weekend, you know, it's like the old story about the first you get the whisper, then you get the knock, and then you get the two-by-four or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. This was one of those. I I flew back from that weekend, and I had had six or seven people all say this to me, independent of each other. So I knew this is something that I should be focusing on. And so that's been the main thing I've been working on ever since. In fact, right before our interview today, I met with a potential client for another book project. Oh, so what is that process like? So do you interview them? Do they write something first? Do you write something first? How do you go about ghostwriting a book for someone? That really depends upon the client. I like to have it customized uh, in terms of having a process that I provide for them. So what I did was I created a package where I don't just ghostwrite their book and say, okay, I wrote your book. Here it is. Now I'm done. See ya. There's a lot of marketing that's necessary for getting any kind of success with a book because there are thousands of books coming out every day. I think it's 4,500 new books every day are released. Hmm. So how are you going to get heard among all that noise? And so what I did was I created this program called Marketing for Authors with the idea that I would sell that coursework to people who are wanting help with their book not a book that I wrote, a book that they wrote. But I I decided that really I could bundle that in as just something I give to people who I'm helping with their book project. Some of them have texts that they've written that they're going to provide to me, and I'm going to work with that and expand on it and add text of my own. I just finished a project like that. I'm I'm in the early stages of another book project right now, and with that one, I haven't been provided a whole lot of information in terms of written text, but I'm doing an interview with them, uh, with, the, with the client every couple of weeks. Typically, I'll try to do about eight or so what I call strategy sessions where I'm interviewing them and they're giving me information, but at the same time, I'm also giving them a little bit of info and education about what they need to have in mind in their book marketing process because you've got to lay the groundwork for that prior to the publication date. Mm. When should someone consider hiring a ghostwriter? 
Well, I'll give you an example. The person who I just talked to today who may become a client of mine is someone who's been in the uh, educational field for years, has an advanced degree, and has decades' worth of knowledge and information and experience, but also is looking to get that knowledge and information and experience out to a wider audience and, frankly, just doesn't have the time to sit down and write a book. Writing a book that's a quality book is a very time-consuming process. You've got to really like what you're doing and be able to allocate a lot of time to it. So the people who I think are good candidates for someone like me are people like business coaches or even life coaches and people who are professionals who are very busy, who get paid well, physicians, attorneys. And these folks, you know, they go to these events they see Dr. So-and-so up there with his book, and I'm sure a lot of them sit there and grumble and say, where the heck's my book? You know, I know more than that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you got to hire somebody or you got to do it yourself. And I think some of these folks do too much of it on their own because if they're getting paid $450 per hour for what they do, how many hours should they be sitting around working on writing a book when they could hire someone to do it for them? It's like how much time, you know, how much is your time worth if you if you really figure it out. So there are a lot of different people who would be good candidates as clients for me. It's really do they have the time to do it all on their own, and do they have the intestinal fortitude to do it all on their own? And most people don't. They say, I'm going to write a book someday. I want to write a book. I've heard this hundreds of times over the past few years when I tell people I'm a writer. Oh, I'd like to write a book. They're never going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you alluded to earlier, there are it's it's somewhat conventional wisdom in the coaching business coaching circles these days that you should be writing a book as as you called it, your extended uh, business card. And uh, so a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to get something like that done. And it's it's not always easy for everybody to do. Right, and this is the other aspect of it, too. I'm glad you brought that up because there are a lot of crappy books out there, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen with someone who I work with. I, I can save people from putting that out because, you know, a book is a product that you can sell for the rest of your life. So you want it to represent the highest aspect of what you do and be better than what you could do on your own. I, I often compare it to plumbing. If I've got a problem with with a, with plumbing in my home, I can have my buddy Bob come over and we can mess around because he's a handyman type and we can get it done, but we won't do a great job. We might make the problem worse, and all we're trying to do is save a few bucks. Or I can hire a skilled professional to have him come in and do the job right, and that's exactly how I look at what I do. People who – everybody can – everybody in America who's read and written English throughout their lives – thinks, oh, I'm a writer because I can speak and write in English. And guess what? That's not the case. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of writing different types of things, you've written and published three novels and a short story collection. You actually published all three novels simultaneously. That is a bold choice. Most most authors like to string them out, like J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter books. So people are anticipating another one. Why did you do it that way? 
That's a great question. I think that usually the answer I give is because I'm crazy, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, when I was still working for this company where I was doing medical marketing, I was uh, starting to launch my publishing endeavor because I really wanted to get these books out there. I had written these three novels over the course of about 25 years, and the third novel actually took a little extra time to finish because I was almost finished, but not quite. I'd gotten stuck. And when I was looking at putting them out, I, I decided, you know, I've been in marketing all these years, and when you're doing something new and you want to get press attention and you want to get people to look at what you're doing, you got to do something that's either newsworthy or that's really interesting in some way. And so I thought, why don't I just launch them all at the same time? This is my gift to the world. Here's my art. This is all the stuff I've done. This is it. And, hey, you know, if I died in a fiery wreck three days after the books came out, at least they'd all be out as opposed ah. to one a year, another a year. And I also looked at it from a consumer point of view because I'm a big music fan. And one, one frustration that people have with, with music and with books is that if, if, you, if you consume everything that comes out by that artist and you love it, then you're hung up waiting and waiting for the next one. I look at the wait now for Game of Thrones, right? People are, uh, they don't even want to think about it because it's, it's going to be like a year away. But I thought, hey, you won't have to wait. You got all three of them. If you like this one, buy the other one. If you like that one, buy the third one. So I thought this will be great. Well, <laughs> when you when you don't have the online presence built up to have people buy your books when they come out, then when you launch a book or three, they're going to land with a big thud. Ah. So that's kind of what yeah, so that's kind of what happened. And so I made some sales, but it wasn't anywhere near what I wanted them to be. So I had to work like mad to keep going after they were launched to get sales on any of them, if not all three of them. So that's mm. one of the things I work on a lot with people in my marketing for authors, letting people know you need that platform, which is really a communication line between you and either readers or potential readers you got to build that up over some time before they pull the trigger to buy that big $1.99 book of yours. Mm-hmm. So are your books related, like a series with the same characters, or are they all different? They're not related at all, which is another reason why it was easy to rationalize that idea of putting them all out. If it was a series, then I would say, well, yeah, I should put one out and then strategically put the next one out six months or a year later because they were ready to go. I just had to have all the editing done and all the cover art and everything done together, which is the other thing that was terrible about doing it together. It's a lot of work to get a book out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your inspiration for these novels? Where did you get the ideas for the storylines and characters? The interesting thing about that is that those, those were all different as well. The first one came pretty organically with some scenes and some characters interacting and going through various things. The guy who's the main character loses his hand in a tragic fall and then falls even harder for his uh, physical therapist. And mm. that kind of, you know, I progressed through that book in a variety of different ways getting it done. The second novel is about a girl who gets fired from her daycare center job because of her sexual orientation. 
And mm. that project, it's, it's actually told from her point of view pretty much. And that all came about from this character just starting to talk to me and just not shutting up for about two years. So <laughs> it wasn't like it started with the story or with my experience. It was just all the character. And I had never had that experience with any other project. And then the third book really was kind of a mix of different things where I, I had some real-life experience that had an influence on it, and I had some characters in mind, and it, it was a process that was different from either of the other ones. So each book has been a different, different inspiration, different process, different everything. Hmm. Explain the difference between literary fiction and regular fiction. Literary fiction is this uh, category that many of us are saddled with if we like to read and write the kinds of books that they had you read in school. So <laughs> if you love Charles Dickens or William Faulkner or Kurt Vonnegut or anything that the teachers were giving you, then that's typically going to fall into the category of either literary fiction or if it's something very new, then they would say contemporary fiction. Uh, the, the problem is that it's really not a genre. It's just something that you, you strive to make it a work of excellence and not just light reading that you could breeze through in a couple hours. But you also don't have it fit comfortably into a genre. So everybody says to me, what, what genre do you write in? And I say, the excellent one or, you know. <laughs> I give them some smart alecky answer that doesn't really answer, and then I tell them, "Well, it's not a genre; it's just it's modern fiction." But for the mm -hmm. people who love the vampires and the car chases and witches and all that kind of stuff, then this is probably not your cup of tea. Mm, okay, you are an author, speaker, publisher. What is Sano Publishing all about? Well, the Sano Publishing brand was actually originally started to publish those novels, and I had an idea that I would actually be taking submissions from people and publishing other fiction that was comparable to my own. But it did not pan out that way at all. I really just used the, the company as the LLC that where anything that comes in for my income goes through that LLC. But the publishing aspect of it is, is set up so that I could, theoretically, I could publish anybody's book for them and pay them a royalty and so forth. But I haven't published anyone other than myself because the submissions I've received, I, I had to reject them. They weren't, they weren't up to the, they either weren't up to the standard that I would require as a publisher or they were in some offbeat genre that I, I couldn't even evaluate if it was any good or not. In your experience, what's the biggest mistake that new authors make? Oh, it's buy my book, buy my book. Please buy my book. Won't you please <laughs> buy my book? <laughs> it's, I, I, I liken it to going to a cocktail party or some kind of networking event and walking up to everybody and saying, hi, I'm Mike, and shake their hand, and they say their name, and I say, buy my book. It's really obnoxious. Nobody will do it, but they will remember you as the obnoxious person who said, buy my book. And people do this on social media ad nauseum. You go on Twitter, and you see these people's Twitter feed, and all it is is self-promotional stuff. It should be about 80% other stuff that provides entertainment or educational value of some sort, 
and maybe 20% promoting your own stuff. Promote other people's stuff, you know, be a giver. And we get so wrapped up in that new project and we're so excited about our great book that all we do is go around trying to get everybody to buy it. And believe me, not a lot of people who you know want to buy your book. you got to find your audience. It's not your friends, your neighbors, your mother. It's not. <laughs> That's a big mistake, and it's understandable because we lack the objectivity. But you need somebody who's like a coach or like me with my marketing for authors to say, look, forget about trying to get your cousin to buy your book. Find that audience market to them in such a way that you are attracting them. They like you. They're interested in what you're doing. You provide some value for free of something, and then you kind of enroll them into pulling the trigger and buying that book of yours. Mm. What advice would you give to writers who are just starting out, whether they want to write fiction, nonfiction, maybe be a ghostwriter? I'm so tempted to just say do something else, but... I think a lot of people because have just done something else. That's the problem. There's still right? this dream of being a writer in them. Right, right. Well, if, if you've been doing something else for a long time, but you have a dream of being a writer, then you should do it. You should just do it in your free time and find the time to do it. You don't have to do it every day. That's a lie. People who say write every day or you're not a writer, no, that's not, that's not accurate. I didn't write anything today except for a few notes with a, cl a potential client. But make time to, to work on a project, do a good job on it, do the best you can, and, and don't worry so much about whether or not it's published yet or publishable. Don't publish too early. Don't publish badly. Make sure that you've got something that is as good as it can be, and then be willing to let it go and work mm -hmm. on something else. Mm-hmm. You are but also... Really is a oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say, if it really is a if it really is a dream for that person and it's that important to them, then they should not hesitate. They should get it done while they've got the time to do it, while they're still here to do it. Yeah, because you don't really have a desire that can't be fulfilled in some way. It's just you have to let the way present itself to you. Yep, I was a writer for 24, 25 years, but I wasn't an author yet. I knew I was a writer, but when people said, what do you do? I'd say, oh, I work for a mortgage company, blah, blah, blah. But I was a writer. Mm-hmm. You're also a speaker. What is a good audience for you, and what do you speak to them about? I've got a few different topics for speaking, and they typically have to do with writing and communication. Uh, a good audience for me is really a professional audience where there are people there who are interested in helping their employees or the people in their association or society or whatever it is either communicate better or, or know more about marketing their writing or their, the, the writing of the people there. And ideally, I'm looking for folks who are in there who are going to hear me talk and they're going to hear me say something like, if you don't have, if, if you're a professional and you're an expert in your field and you don't have a great book that you can use to expand your authority, reach, and influence, you're leaving money on the table. And if mm -hmm. they're sitting there and they say, that's me, then that's my audience because I can help. Mm -hmm. We're almost out of time. So I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Wow. Um, book or resource, not my own. And I know we talked about this. 
I was I, I thought about this having written fiction for years. I really just thought about a book that had an impact on me, and it was the novel Sophie's Choice. Oh, okay. It's an incredible novel. The movie was fantastic with Meryl Streep. This is back in the 80s, I guess, that came out. But I actually saw the movie before I read the book, and I loved the movie. I thought it was incredible. But I heard people complain about it because, hey, you know, nothing's as good as the book, right? So then right. I went and read the book. And even though I knew what was going to happen, that is one incredible book. That's, a, that's one of the great American novels. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I recommend, that to, I recommend that book to everybody. Awesome. If people want to find out more about you, maybe read your books or book you to speak to their group, how would they do that? Uh, my website is my first initial, M as in Mike, and then last name Sano, S as in Sam, A-H-N-O dot com. Or actually, if you're just driving or something, you just type in Google uh, the name Sano, S-A-H-N-O, the first page of results and second page is mainly me. Oh, good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what, what's next for Mike Sano? Well, I'm I'm working on this one project now for this client of mine who uh, is having me do, he's actually financing a book for somebody and having me do it. And there's going to be some other projects like that coming my way through those companies of his. So I actually don't know what the next project is. Um, I'm excited because I know that the one we're doing is not going to be the last. Uh, but I'm also looking to do more speaking. So when you mentioned an ideal audience, I really was thinking a lot about that because I'm at the uh, beginning of the speaking part of my career. I do want to get out there and, and give talks to more people and try to make it entertaining in addition to informative. And you are in the Tampa area, but presumably you would travel to speak to groups? I sure would. Awesome. Author, speaker, publisher, Mike Sano, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Kate. This was fantastic. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I know so many people who have written or are in the process of writing a book, for their business usually. Some are really good, some are not so good, and could really benefit from a ghostwriter. I consider myself a fairly good writer, but I've worked with a ghostwriter of sorts, someone who gathers information from many of us and writes an article under my byline for the website redecoratewithmodelermove.com. Often she'll take what I've written and just make a few little changes, but it sounds so much better. If you're considering or in the midst of writing a book, it's something to think about. And if you're an excellent writer, professional or otherwise, you might consider adding that to what you offer for an additional stream of income. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating, hopefully a good one. Follow the show so you'll be notified of new episodes and please share it with your friends. If you have a great story to tell and you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page, fill out the survey, and if it seems like a good fit, I'll be in touch. Remember, you can find links to previous podcasts as well as the recommendations of my guests on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Next week, my guest will be Carolyn Thompson Twaddle. Carolyn is the author of Living in Sync with Your God-Given Design, a life-changing book that cuts through all the noise and gets to the heart of what matters most to truly make a difference in your life. This book goes beyond the typical Band-Aid approach often found in self-help books to where the deeper answers lie.
It offers fresh insights and practical help for addressing the personal issues we most often struggle with today. Carolyn's the mother to four and grandmother to five, and she knows firsthand that life isn't always easy. She knows the demands of being an entrepreneur, the stress and responsibility of being a single parent, the pressures of financial hardship, and what it's like to live with chronic pain and compromised health. Yet, in the midst of it all, her deep love for Jesus and people come through. Carolyn is committed to growing in grace in her own life and offering it to others. She's been told that she's a source of quiet strength and that she provides a soft place to land. She's a deep thinker who also loves simplicity and the practical side of life. This unique combination of grace and compassion, strength and softness, along with depth and down-to-earth practicality, all come together in her writing. If you follow the advice in Carolyn's book, before you know it, you'll be experiencing more joy and peace than you have in a long time. I hope you'll join us. Until then, cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.